Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include, but are not limited to, professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Viewer discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ, therefore, forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin, and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear His words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed, and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bashed, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. Listen and enjoy this installment of Iron Sharpening Iron as Pastor Tim answers your sincere questions. Here's Pastor Tim. On this episode of Iron Sharpening Iron, we're going to be answering the question, should celibacy be recommended for individuals who are tempted towards abominable sexual practices? Uh, now, this is a follow-up to our podcast, Should Christians Counsel Gays to Straighten Up and Marry a Member of the Opposite Sex? Uh, in, in response to that uh, episode, we had the following post, uh, no. So, should Christians counsel gays to straighten up and marry a member of the opposite sex? This commenter says, no, no. First and foremost, Christians should admonish those that deal with SSA. Uh, Notice, uh, deal with SSA. Notice the therapeutic victim language that's present in the way that that's phrased. Uh, Christians should admonish those that deal with SSA to follow Christ, as this is the main imperative of the Christian faith. Jesus was not married, but he was holy. So, uh, note what's being said there. The, the, the admonition essentially is to say that, uh, this, and, and this is uh, part of what's happening in the uh, celibate gay Christian movement, the, the standard SSA tropes that are being uh, presented to us in uh, evangelicalism today. Um, uh, this is the kind of thing that Rosario Butterfield is noted for saying that heterosexuality is not godliness and you know individuals should not be. It's a heresy to... You know, it teaches them to mortify this set of sinful desires and attractions, but essentially they should be taught to follow Christ. Uh, at the end, period, uh, end of discussion. And, and part, of, part of the issue with that is that uh, it is our contention, and the Bible uh, speaks to this very issue, that, that if you are to follow Christ, then one of the things that you would want to do is follow his teaching. And one of the things that he teaches is that for the vast majority of people alive on the earth, the normal expectation for humanity is that human- God's design for mankind is that um, that uh, men and women come together in the union of marriage and to procreate and have offspring in order to f- fill the earth and subdue it and be fruitful and multiply it. 
uh, one of the first commands that man has given in the garden uh, after man's uh, single state is described as uh, not good. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, one of the first commands that man is given is is the command to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, you know, for this reason, man will leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. Marriage is designed uniquely by God as a fix for sexual temptation and it's designed to to accomplish God's purposes of filling this world up full of people who will exercise dominion over all creation. And one of the things you'll notice about that, be fruitful and multiply, is that it comes to us in the uh, in the imperative mood. It's a command. Uh, the com- there's a command given to us to be fruitful and multiply. And it's a command that God has given to the human race. Uh, it's it's what I would describe as a corporate command, just like the Great Commission is a corporate command. is a is a command that's given to the entire human race, and it's the command that we should be encouraging other people to pursue. Uh, and if uh, if an individual has a certain set of deviant sexual temptations that are coming from his sinful heart. Uh, you know, the the primary counsel that would be biblical to give would be to mortify those sinful temptations and to uh, put on godly attractions and godly affections as you would do with any other sin in life. Now, part of the reason why this is so offensive, as we said in our our podcast, is because in part what what's happening is that we have certain sets of unshared assumptions now one of those assumptions is that this homosexual orientation is somehow a fixed move, uh, unmovable feature of an individual's life that that uh, has little to no hope of changing we challenge that assumption in our podcast that this orientation is is a fixed unmovable characteristic of certain individuals a created feature anything else it, it is a deviant set of uh, of poles that is able to be by God's grace to be mortified just like any other set of deviant poles uh, another part of the problem, though, is that you're living in a society that's post-sexual revolution uh, with easy access to birth control. And so in a society like that, one of the, uh, two of the things that have happened in that sort of society is that marriage and children are seen in this kind of society, and there's great cultural pressure to view them that way as evidenced by the fact that marriage rates are on the rise and um, the birth rates are uh, plummeting. Uh, the marriage and children are viewed as purely optional pursuits that an individual may uh, engage in if, you know, in the charismatic language, they feel led or, you know, in a more crass secular sense, if they desire to pursue those things. Uh, but then part of the problem with that is it's just it doesn't pass um, the exegesis tech text of the opening chapters of the Bible. We're looking at something that's obviously written to us in an imperative mood. It's a command, and so we need to do something with it. That's the problem. So the Bible tells the human race, be fruitful and multiply. We need to do something with that. That's actually a command. So if we're going to follow Christ, we need to follow his commands in the scripture. And and one of his commands seems to be, or corporate commands, seems to be that for men and women to come together in marriage and have some babies. That's what it says. Uh, so now, uh, the problem there is apparent, and this is the problem that's brought up. Since Christ was single and Paul, in some sense, encourages singleness, wouldn't if following Christ mean following Christ's example? Well, obviously, if everyone followed Christ's example, <laughs> here's the thing, um, then we would have no new people and essentially the human race would die off. So 
In order to follow Christ's example, it seems to me that we need to follow his commands that we find in the Old Testament and the opening chapters of the Bible is designed for humanity. Uh, but then there seems to be that there is this gift of singleness that we have to figure out what to do with. And so is that a contradiction? Is is a gift of singleness a contradiction with the command in the Old Testament? What do we do? Uh, do we become red-letter red Christians, ignore everything in the Old Testament? Do we make uh, silly arguments to say, well, it's in the Old Testament and Christ came to overturn the Old Testament? Uh, knowing that the Bible says uh, Jesus didn't come to overturn the law but to, or to abolish the law but to fulfill it, what do we do? Well, if you do not wish to engage in the Marcionite heresy where you cut the Bible in two and uh, obey one to the detriment of the other, one of the things you might want to do is attempt to harmonize this corporate command that you find in Genesis with the gift of singleness. Now, when you attempt to do that, Christians have always had uh, an explanation readily available in order to give single people who are discouraged because they're unable to find a spouse. Uh, we, we've always had counsel to give that sort of individual to determine whether or not they have the gift of singleness. I can't tell you how many people, particularly in a time where, birth, where uh, marriage, uh, for the, the, the age of, um, of first-time marriages is so dramatically on the rise due to a, a, a variety of factors. I can't tell you how many times I've had individuals who come to me and say, I think, you know, I just is impossible for me to find a spouse. I must have the gift of singleness. And the problem is we've always had counsel to give that sort of individual. But when it comes to the individual with the deviant uh, sexual temptations, we overlook everything we say in the one area and give the, the, um, the the person struggling with sodomite uh, sodomy a completely different answer so so how how would we normally counsel individuals who are asking that sort of question that's the question we'll ask how would we normally counsel the kind of individual who is wondering do I have the gift of singleness well here's how we would normally counsel them uh, there's two passages that we typically go to if we're going to try to answer this kind of question for the individual in question first Corinthians 7 is one of the passages and Matthew 19 now um, after Jesus gave his strong uh, stance on the permanence of marriage in Matthew 19 uh, the disciples basically said to them as such is the case with the man and his wife it's better not to marry you know if if uh, divorce is not permissible for any reason including uh, the burning of the toast in <laughs> uh, the discussion that the rabbis were having at that time if marriage is not uh, permissible for any reason but only uh, permissible on account of sexual immorality the disciples look at him in verse 11 Matthew 19 11 they say not uh, or in 10 and say if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those whom it is given. For there have been eunuchs who have been so from birth. Um, so eunuch uh, is being used in the standard sense of an individual who is missing certain parts at that point. Uh, there have been eunuchs who have been so from birth. There have been eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. Um, typically in the ancient world, if you wanted to have um one cruel form of punishment was to turn a man into a eunuch. Uh, if you wanted men who were going to guard your harem for you, you would typically castrate them if you were a king uh, in order to keep them from expressing their sexual desires. Uh, he says there have been eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Now, that's being the only instance in the passage that's being used in a figurative sense. Uh, meaning not that uh, men have castrated themselves for the kingdom, although some have in the course of church history. Uh, but there are those who have intentionally pursued singleness or 
the absence of offspring for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He says, let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. So in this passage, one of the things that you find is that if an individual is going to have the gift of singleness, this is going to be the kind of individual who is intentionally pursuing the advancement of God's kingdom um, and believes that he can better pursue the advancement of God's kingdom on this earth by not being bound to a particular wife over and against um, uh, pursuing marriage. And so there are opportunities that are available to a person through marriage to advance God's kingdom, and there's opportunities that are available to singleness. Uh, Paul was able to evangelize the known world at the time because of his, he intentionally did not pursue marriage but in, pursued the advance of the gospel. He um he was constantly in danger of imprisonment, in danger uh, by robbers, uh, in danger by toil, in danger by snares. Uh, he's uh, in danger from the Romans, in danger from the Jews. Like he's constantly being beaten and whipped and tormented and um, stoned, you know, and shipwrecked and everything else. But then if you had to care for a wife and drag along a family and make the kind of travels that he made, they would have been a liability to him in advancing gospel. So the first question we typically tell individuals who are wondering, do they have a gift of singleness? Is is we ask them the question: Are you attempting to uh, do, do you uh, do you uh, have a desire to pursue full time uh, vocational ministry in some sense? Are you are you you know are you wanting to be a missionary? Are you wanting to be a pastor? Are you wanting to advance the gospel to areas of unreached people groups? Uh, not just uh, you don't ask them. Hey, you know, do you you know, want to spend your life uh, building a secular corporation or something like that? Now that's worthy work and that's fine, but that's not the kind of person this has in mind. The kind of person that has in mind is the one who wants to give all of their time and all of their attention to the spread of the gospel in a very intentional way. So if you look at the person who's uh, wondering, do they have the gift of singleness because no one seems to be taking them up on marriage? First thing you ask is, are you? Uh, wanting to give your life to the advancement of the gospel and the spread of the gospel and need more time to be devoted to it? And typically the answer is no. Now, the second kind of um, question that you normally ask a person in those uh, in that kind of scenario is uh, you ask them, are you free from sexual temptation? Are you free from sexual temptation? So here's the thing. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sex, sexual relationships with a woman. That's the question that they're asking him. Essentially, is it good for a man to uh, to avoid sexual con- contact with a woman? Does that defile individuals? Uh, you know, as the Greeks are saying, is, does that defile a person to have sex with a woman? Is it better to not? Uh, Paul says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. In other words, God created man and he gave them uh, man and woman sexual desires and he did not intend for man to sit there and sit on those sexual desires forever to delay the fulfillment of those desires until their late 20s and basically spend you know a good 10 to 15 years post puberty uh, frustrated with no lawful outfit outlet for sexual expression one of the things that God's designed is he's designed to give us these overpowering at times sexual desires 
but then he's given us a healthy outlet for him. And, and, and the more that you sit there and try to suppress him and try to pretend like that you're there, the more that you feel cursed. I can't tell you how many single people who, who have come to me and basically told me that they feel cursed and they wish God would just take their sexual desires away uh, and remove them because they're tired of bearing him and they like to get married and they can't and they don't know what to do. And they're just praying, Lord, just take it all away. Just take it all away. Um, that's the kind of individual that God has not given the gift of singleness. Now, the person who is the SSA, attracted Christian, to use the neutral therapeutic language, who is struggling with SSA, the issue there is that we have had counsel we give to single people for a long time. And let me suggest, in the nicest possible tone, that we should apply that same counsel to individuals who... Um, have temptations that are coming from their own sinful heart towards abominable sexual practices. Uh, the same thing that's true of every other sin you would tell them to do. There's a put off, put on dynamic. You put off the evil desires. You put on righteousness, holiness, faithfulness, goodness, truth. Uh, far from telling, like one of the things to realize is if you look at that person with those desires and you say, hey, you're going to be cursed forever and ever and ever to basically burn. And the Bible says it's better to marry than to burn. You're going to be cursed forever and ever to burn because there's God has no hope for you with uh, the changing these uh, illicit, uh, unlawful, abominable uh, temptations. Um, you're basically consigning that person to a life that is going to be filled with uh, substantial amounts of frustration. Um, and not only that, they're not going to be faithful to God's created design for them. They're obviously an individual who desires uh, sexual, they have sexual desires that are able to be lawfully pursued, and there's no reason not to pursue them. And if you adopt some sort of homeless or uh, hopeless uh, framework there that basically says that you're uh, there's no hope for you, uh, that that uh, will become a self-fulfilling prophecy if you tell them, hey, this will never change and there's no hope for you and you're just going to have to pursue celibacy forever. Uh, many people will uh, throw their hands up in despair. Now, obviously, here's the thing. Not everyone who has sexual desires that are unmet is guaranteed or promised marriage from God. For some people, that truly is their cross to bear. Uh, me meaning the kind of individual who have lawful sexual attractions that they're not able to do anything with, that may be their cross to bear. And there's there's all sorts of counsel that you would give that kind of person. It's better to live uh, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Um, you know, there's many people who um, you know died not in faith, not receiving the promises. Uh, and you know, sometimes the Christian life costs you something. Sometimes faithfulness costs you something. Uh, however, to tell an individual that they are barred from marriage or they discourage them from per pursuing marriage at all would be a gross mishandling of the scripture. Uh, one of the things that we need to do as it relates to this topic is stop treating this deviant sexual desire as if it's some fixed immutable part of a person's character that is either neutral across the bear some sort of temptation that they can't help or anything else if you if you consider it what it is it's a it's a wicked pull from a wicked heart that may sound mean but there's great hope in that because if it's a wicked pull from a wicked heart Christ is able to cleanse you from the other, uh, to the other most and it's my hope for those who um, have fed those abominable desires who have fed those uh, uh to who have 
who have grown those sets of temptations in their mind, it's my hope that they find true and utter deliverance from that. Not only put off the evil desires, but learn to put on the good desires. And I can just tell you from my own life that God has helped me do that with a great many sins. And that's my hope for you as well. This has been another installment of Iron Sharpening Iron. As always, if you would like to have your question included in one of these midweek episodes, email us at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Gab. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move. Mm-hmm.